in our Pew Bible, what page is that? 812, thank you very much. Uh, 812, if you have not found it yet, is where you need to go. I am going to start reading Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Romans 14 takes us to uh, a, a somewhat familiar passage for some of us, especially as we deal with certain things in life. Um, certain things that are taboos or certain things that are um, frowned upon. And then, it, and then in the relationship of God's people to one another, certain things that cause friction. And obviously it's talking here about things that are going to create friction inside the body of Christ. And I think it's a very helpful place to go. Before we get there, let's figure out how we got there. Romans 1 through 8 is this big, wide-scope gospel presentation by Paul. He doesn't just present it as if he's giving some type of lecture, but he does it through diatribe. He does it through sort of guessing, which is, of course, he's guessing very well, guessing what's the next question that's going to come as I'm teaching one truth. What's the question that's going to come from this church in Rome? As he writes this letter to them, he doesn't, he doesn't know them. He didn't start the church, but he knows them as God's people. He's heard stories about them. They've heard stories about Paul. And so they have this distant relationship, and now he's writing to bless them, to serve them well to give them these truths, especially the truths of the gospel. So he's helping them to grow deeper in their knowledge of God and of what God has done so that they would know who they are and what they are to do. That's a pattern that you see in all of Scripture and with all people everywhere. This is how we are to teach them. Who is God? What has he done? And then who are we and what are we to do? And if we don't get that order right and we start with what do we do and then try to go back and define God, guess what kind of God we're going to get? We're going to get the kind of God that causes guys to write books that everybody starts screaming about on blogs and, you know, stuff like that. And so we need to start with God understanding who he is and what he has done. And that's where Paul goes in, in not only Romans 1 through 8, but then especially as he gets to 9 through 11 where he starts to really crank it up. You know, I think when they said you turn it up to 11, I think they meant Romans 
through chapter 11, right? Because he really cranks up theologically and he goes, he goes extremely deep, so much so that at the end of Romans 11, he says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How can, how can we trace his tracks through the snow? How can we even try to understand the way that he's come to do the things that he does? We can only understand so far, and then we just have to go. He's God. It's bigger than what we can get. We can't wrap our minds fully around God. If we could wrap our minds fully around God, he would not be God. He would be something smaller than us. We can't put our minds around something bigger, meaning ontologically he is too great to fathom fully. So we try to understand him as well as he has revealed himself to us. And so Paul is explaining, this is the great God who has revealed himself to us. This is what he has done through Christ. And so he's talking about God, what he has done. He talks about us. We're sinners, right? He talks in Romans 1 about how God gives us up to our debased minds. It talks about how we don't seek after God in Romans 3. It talks about how we are the ones who are now no longer condemned if we're in Christ. We're the, we're the ones who are accepted. We're the ones who are received. We're the ones who are welcomed. God is the God who has not just sort of done this on the spot as if, well, you know, I'll kind of just jump in there and do something, but who has been planning this since before even things were created. It talks about those whom he predestines. Remember Romans 8? It talks about those who, whom he foreknew, who, those whom he loved beforehand. He chose to love before even we were created. Before in Romans 9 it says, we do anything good or bad. And so this is the kind of God that we have. And he not only starts that work, but he completes it. We know that from Philippians. But we see as he, as he gives this this uh, amazing, we, we call it like the, the golden chain of salvation or the way, the way God has worked out salvation. It's not only what he has done before time, but now he actually acts upon it. Now we are justified and we will be glorified. This is, this is Romans. This is deep. This is just gospel goodness. And then we get to Romans 12. As we've been reading week by week up on the screen where it talks about that we have now this living sacrifice life where we're walking, living, dead people, where now we are, we are changed by the renewal of our minds, and it's this ongoing renewal that we continue to be renewed, and it, God continues to work upon us even after we know Him, after we are His children. Remember, this is written to the church, so if you're someone who has not yet trusted in Christ, just understand He's writing this to Christian people, even though we can explain this to those who don't know Christ, it ultimately, you need to believe this gospel for Romans 12 onward to be able to be lived out. If you, if you come to the Bible and say, well, here's what it talks about. Here's what you're supposed to do. If you start to do it and you don't get God right, you don't get what God has done right, you don't get who you are right as sinners, and then you try to go do it, you're going to, try to, you're going to make God the God who measures out how good your works are because you've got it backwards. But you go back and you define God correctly. God is the creator. He is perfect. He's good. All that he does is right. He defines what is good. It is only good because we have God. 
We would not even be able to comprehend what goodness is without understanding who God is, even though he has made us to be good, but we have fallen in our sin. We've rebelled against God. We've rejected God. And then God makes a promise to redeem. And then through that promise, he has brought Christ. He's brought his son. He's born into the world, named him Jesus. And then Jesus lives a perfect life without sin. He fulfills all of God's requirements. And he goes to the cross and dies in our place and takes God's wrath upon himself that we would be forgiven. We are forgiven not because Jesus died on the cross alone, but because we trust in what Jesus has done on the cross. There is repentance and faith that comes. Repent and believe is this constant mantra of Scripture, not only in, in Christ, but we see that in the Old Testament as well. We see that it's, it's continuous. That's why they have temple sacrifice, right? It's because there are sins that need to be atoned for. But now through Christ, the sins have been atoned for. And now we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ, the one true, for all time, spotless Lamb of God who was sacrificed for us. That is the atonement in his blood. So because of who God is, what God has done, understanding who we are as sinners, and then saying, wow, we need to trust in Christ. Then once we've trusted in Christ, once God has changed us from the inside out, he's done his work through his Holy Spirit of regeneration, of of remaking our hearts. And as we have become Christians, we then begin to live this life. So Romans 12 onward is for the people with the changed hearts. Here's what's next. Here you go. This is what you do. This is how you live. Individually, as a community, all of those things are a part of this. So if you go try to live Romans 12 onward, there's, there's a lot of times you get younger Christians or, or people who are not Christians who are reading scripture and they don't want to read Romans 1 through 11. It's just a lot of God stuff. It's really hard to understand it all. What they want to do is go, oh, okay, here we go. Love each other. What does the world say when they hear about Jesus and they, they like Jesus, but they don't want to be a Christian? What do they say? What's the Bible about? Love. Love, love, love. I'm not going to sing. Okay. Um, it's, if, if, if they want to adopt a piece of Jesus, they'll just take the love stuff out and they'll say, that's the stuff that we like. And, and it is about love. It is about love, but if we start with love, what we do, and don't start with who God is and what God has done, and who we are as sinners needing to be saved, then we get the love part wrong, okay? It's got to go in order. So now, starting in Romans 12, what we essentially get is, this is what it now looks like to be a Christian. This is how to live as his redeemed people, but specifically as his community of faith. We have to be very careful not to be separating what the, we always talk about the Christian life, but the Christian life is to be lived in a community of Christians. That's what the church is. In, in scripture, we don't see a lot of talk about the individual Christian things you do as much as what is done as God's people. It, it, we are often talked to as a community. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Not you to present your body, although that's true, right? But even in that context, it's explained in the, in the fullness of the community. And then, from Romans 12, 13, and now into 14, what we really get is that love. What does it now look like? What does it now look like to be God's people who live as this community, who love God, great commandment, and the second is like it, 
Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So love is at the core. Love is at the center, but it is not a love that is somehow just kind of out there. Let's go love. Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Obviously, this, is, this verse is written to the strong because it's contrasting the weak and the strong or the weak and the one who believes, it's going to say in verse 2, but we'll get there. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. He's not addressing the weak in faith, he's addressing the strong in faith, and he's saying, welcome the weak in faith. Welcome the one who is weak in faith, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, we we, got to get this. This is we go wrong here. I, I in my life have gone wrong here, very wrong, and we just need to be careful. This is talking to the strong, okay? Often the strong don't know who they are because the stronger they get, the more they see their sin, the more humble and broken they tend to be, and they tend to always see themselves as broken, and yet part of their brokenness is that God is making them stronger. Humility is the way to exaltation, not exaltation. Often the ones who think they're strong are the ones who are weak. And it's because they're always talking about how strong they are. Here, the strong are addressed. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Welcome, receive, hug, love, but not to quarrel over opinions. We're going to talk about quarreling a little bit more in a minute. But let's just kind of hold on to where this is, this is this new community that's built in love, is that the weak in faith is welcomed by the strong. And your temptation as the strong is going to be to quarrel. Understand? Your your temptation is going to be to quarrel. So it says, do not quarrel over opinions. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person only eats vegetables. If you're a vegetarian, you're a sinner, he says. That's not what he says. Um, what, <laughs> you might be. I mean, okay, let's be honest. Um, okay, let's, let's see what he's saying. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, we think, as scholars think, what probably is intended here is in the Christian community, you have this group of people who is worried that they're going to eat meat that is uh, improperly prepared. I mean, even today, you go to the supermarket or the deli and you have different kinds of meats. One is the kind that most of us eat, and then there's what kind? Kosher, right? Stuff specially prepared, done in a certain way, because that's how we must have it prepared or we're doing it incorrectly. Then there are the people who have... um, uh, the, the, the meat that is sacrificed to idols, right? Even the meat itself is a part of a, a sacrifice that doesn't belong to God. And so people were afraid, I, if I eat that meat, then it somehow will be tainted. It somehow will make me unholy. The, the church that I was uh, at for a week in Tacoma, Washington, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dark place, not just because it rains and it's cloudy all the time, but it's a spiritually dark place. And so there's a lot of cultic activity, a lot of false religions, and a lot of the Christianity up there is extremely weak uh, and small and 
And so the church that I was at is a church that is growing. It's growing um, steadily, and it's growing through conversions, not by just bringing in Christians from the outside. It's, it's seeing people come to Christ. And so there was one Sunday, they have uh, their worship service set up with three communion tables. And I'll explain more about communion in another time because uh, I really love the way they do it. I think it's something worth talking about. Um, but they have three communion tables set up. And, and what happens at a certain point of the service is they start and they, they're playing music. And then as they're playing music, you can come and take communion as, as you want to. Um, and before that time, here comes a guy walking in. He's dressed all in black. He, he looks evil. <laughs> you like, you just know when you see somebody who, people can dress in black and look elegant or handsome or regal, and they can dress in black and you realize they're a part of something in which that's how they dress. You know the difference, right? And um, so one of the elders at this church is telling the story about how this guy came into the worship service and everybody's singing. It's before, I believe, the sermon. And, and he comes up to each communion table and he puts his hands over it and he starts saying some words. And then he goes to the next communion table. He puts his hands over it and starts saying some words. Most people are just singing, not paying attention because it's you know, a little bit toward the back and all. But some of the elders had noticed this. And so he does this at all three communion tables and then he leaves. So you've got some you know, occult kind of thing going on here. And they're basically trying to sap the power of the Lord's Supper. Congratulations, there's no power there. It's in Jesus, dummy, but whatever. Um, yeah, it's not a magical meal. Um, you maybe go do that at the Catholic Church and it would have a different meaning. But so, so the elders were like, what do we do? And so they just basically stopped the service after this guy walked out. They kind, of, they kind of got what happened and they just stopped the service and they knew that some people had seen it. And so they just stopped and they just prayed, you know, God, this is, you're, you're here. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Um, Satan has no power or dominion here. Uh, you are Lord. And, you know, they just prayed and then they continued the service. And they kind of show this is, this, this is how God sort of shows his um, control. And so you, you might, if that Lord's Supper had the hands over it and you're standing in the back and nobody does anything and you look at that meal and you might go, oh, you know, like, well, now what if I take and eat it? Some Satanist has come in here and, and given it over to Satan. Now am I eating Satan's meal? I mean, you can see that happening. If, if I'm, if we're having a worship service, some guy walks up front and does that here. What would you do? Throw him out. <laughs> Throw him out. We got our bouncer up here. Um, <laughs> What, what would you take and would you eat and would you drink or would you somehow go some, maybe maybe next week? OK, let's wash this one out and then start over again. You know, I, some of you would do that, wouldn't you? you? You would you would have. And that's it's not that it's inappropriate to have a certain kind of what just happened here, but that we need to understand that there is um, in this moment we need to wonder whether or not there's something bad that has happened or if we could take something in that could hurt us and what paul says here is there's two kinds of people there's the one who can eat and they would get it some of you would be like there's that person doesn't have any power we're not going to take in satan and you could come and take and eat and some of you would be like "Uh oh should i shouldn't i what just happened some wiccan you know did this some warlock or some I don't even know the names of all these people, are, but you know, you know what I'm saying. So Paul says, one person, this is the strong, believes they can eat anything. Go ahead, sacrifice it to an idol. Steak. Mmm. You know, and they just 
slather some steak sauce on it and eat away because they realize they're strong, they're mature, and they get it. There is no power in that other stuff. And there are some who are so afraid. He shows the extreme example here. They're so afraid they might accidentally eat the wrong kind of meat that they are vegetarians. Okay? You get, you get the, the distance here. So there's two different kinds of people. And of course, what Paul's going to do here is just go, stop being so dumb and weak, right? That's what he says, right? Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Somebody abstains. Do you despise them? Do you say, you dummy? Don't you know? Don't you know? Aren't you smart enough? It's not what Paul says. He says, let, the, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. There's, there's sort of a mutual reception of each other. Why? The end of verse 3, for God has welcomed him. In other words, work out the core of the issue in your minds. We in Christ have a new identity. We have a new identity, right? We're his disciples, we're his family, we're missionaries in the world. We have a new identity in Christ. That's who we are. And so I look at you and you look at me, Paul's basically saying, according to our identities in Christ, not according to the things that we eat or don't eat. If God has welcomed them, then you welcome them. He's not saying don't disagree. He's saying there is disagreement. You're going to be tempted the strong to quarrel or even the weak to quarrel. But remember, God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and it will be, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Strong, weak. God has welcomed both. God has welcomed both. And so you welcome both. He gives another example here. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. This very well could be about the Sabbath, in that there are some who are going, we had the Sabbath for how long? You know, these Jews that have become believers in Christ, we've had it for how, how do all of a sudden we just go, no more Sabbath? And so they kind of have this, this conviction like, well, we need to just keep doing this. It seems like the right thing to do. Should we, should we stop? So they, 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 they maybe are saying, this is an important day. And there are those who are, especially the, the Greek Christians or the, the ones who, who are not Jews, um, they get converted and they don't go, well, I need all of a sudden become a Jew and then to somehow come to Christ. It's not what we're supposed to do, is it? We're supposed to just come to Christ. And then we have this kind of freedom. And we see all days as alike, at least in some sense, right? And so one person esteems one day is better, the other esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. What this doesn't mean, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, what this doesn't mean is you should have your set of detailed arguments and they should have their set of detailed arguments so you can argue with each other properly. He's already, he's already said, it's not about the arguing, okay? So keep that in mind. What he's saying is, you should be fully convinced. In other words, you should, you should be moving in accordance with the conscience that God has given you. The, the spirit is informing, the word is informing. And then you go, oh, this, is, this is what I believe is the right thing to do. So go and do it. 
The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. The one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Do you get it? What's the point here? Is the point eating? Not eating? Is the point the day or not the day? These are issues that we can dispute. This is not saying there's the one who commits adultery and the one who doesn't commit adultery. That's not what it says. There's the one who murders and the one who doesn't murder. It's not a sin issue. This is a freedom issue. You see, it is a freedom issue. Therefore, we are to focus on this point. Be fully convinced, not so that you can make your arguments about your position, but so that what you're doing is in the honor of the Lord. Whatever you do, it is for the honor of the Lord. If you are doing it or not doing it for any other reason, then something else is messed up. He's talking about best case scenario, either side, take, take them in their kind of, their, their width, you know, how far apart they can be. He gives the, the biggest examples. One can just eat anything. Pigs, I'll eat it right while a pig's still living, man. You know, is, is it the bacon part? Just give it. I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'll light it up with my lighter on the side of the pig and eat it while he's still alive. I'm, I'm cool with that. And then there's the ones, vegetables only, and vegetables that haven't touched pigs or been within 100 yards of pigs. Or, you know, I mean, you, can see that, you see what I'm saying? So, so we can take these extreme examples and realize what, what Paul is saying here is, let there be peace. Welcome each other because God has welcomed both into the community of faith. Now, he does talk about strong and weak. We're going to talk about that here in a second. So, the point is to honor the Lord. That you're not doing something that you think is wrong. Do the thing that you think is right when it's an issue of freedom. But none of us lives to himself. This is verse 7. And none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. He's just driving home that point. Showing you that's the point. The Lord is the point. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again. Why? Why did he die and then live again? So that he would be the Lord both of the dead and the living. In other words, Jesus gets all of it. He's the Lord of all of it. The living and the dead. So whatever you're doing, it is to be done for the Lord because he is the one who is the Lord and therefore we do it for the honor of the Lord. And if we're doing it for any other reason, it's sin, right? If you're not doing something for the honor of the Lord, um, I, I sometimes use the example that John Piper says where he says, uh, if you can't figure out how to eat pizza and drink Pepsi to the glory of God, you shouldn't eat it and drink it. If you can't do it for the glory of God, then what are you doing? He's just saying this. He's saying, if you're not doing it for the honor of the Lord, you're doing it for the honor of something or someone else, maybe yourself. And, and so it is all to be done for the honor of the Lord is because we are, we are the Lord's and whether we live or whether we die, we live and die to the Lord. Okay. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Specifically in verse 10, he's talking to the weak. Remember before, um, you who... Uh, to pass judgment on another, it is uh, on his own, <coughs> excuse me, it is before his own master he stands or falls, right? So there's this, this is the, this is the weak who is going to judge because they're going to say, I'm not eating the meat. 
Therefore, I'm judging them because they're the ones doing something wrong. It's, it's a judgment. And then there's the strong. They're mature. They, they get the theology that describes things correctly. Therefore, they realize there's nothing wrong to eat the meat. They are the strong. So what is the command to the strong? Or you, why do you despise your brother? You can despise. You're strong and go, this stupid. They don't know what they're doing. What's wrong with you? Why don't you know your Bible? Right? It's, that's what the strong can do. So what, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? To the weak and to the strong. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then it quotes from Isaiah, which we see again in Philippians. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're going to give an account. We're going to be in front of God and have to stand before him. And so on issues of freedom, we say about our brothers and sisters that they will stand before the Lord. How can we be unified when we have disagreements on freedoms? How do we, how do we stay unified? Well, the strong, you cannot, you cannot despise the weak. Guess what? If you're strong, guess what you used to be? At one time. Weak. What about Paul? Paul, he, he knew all of the Old Testament scriptures. What happens when he becomes a Christian? God blinds him, right? It's the first thing he does. He breaks him. He humbles him. He's weak. He has to have somebody come and then strengthen him. And then he fears, am I, am I now proclaiming it right? So he's, he's looking, he's looking for the apostles to come and to make sure that what he's preaching, what he understands is right and true. And then there's this time gap before he really begins his ministry in full. He's doing things locally, but he's not doing things in the, in the missionary journeys, the big scope of what he's doing for years. And then once he goes and does these amazing things, what's his testimony? I get beaten to a pulp, uh, you know, people leave me for dead, they throw rocks at me. They, they, they spit on me. I get shipwrecked all the time. Everything's bad. And then what does he say? Then God also sends a messenger, a messenger of Satan to come. He has this thorn in his flesh. It's very painful. And he pleads with the Lord to take it from him. Whatever it is, we don't know what it is. But God gives it to him to humble him, to make him weak. Why? Because in... Our weakness, what? He's shown us strong. It's his strength and through us. So there's this kind of perpetual, proper sort of weakness that Paul is talking about there. But there's the, the real kind of just maturity sort of weakness that Paul talks about here. Now, let me just make something really clear. What this passage does not mean is stay weak. What this does not mean is stay weak or don't teach. It's talking about the, the fundamental acceptance of brothers and sisters in Christ. It's talking about where we do not divide. We do not divide on issues of freedom. We divide on issues of Christ. We divide on the gospel. We divide on the truth of the word, right? The infallibility of the word. We, we, we divide when somebody says, you know, well, God, Father, Son, and Spirit is really just the same person sort of switching, 
you know, in different times and eras. And there's been a big debate about that recently. And so, yes, there's division that happens. We must divide at certain points. But this passage isn't about the division. It's about not dividing over things that we shouldn't divide over. But it doesn't mean to stay weak. It doesn't mean don't teach the weak. It means if you're the strong, don't despise them. Instead, lead them toward the truth. He doesn't have to say that because it's talking about the unity issue. But Paul very clearly is calling them weak. You get it? If you're at this church and you're only eating vegetables, you've just been called out by Paul because this is going to be read publicly. The letter is going to show up and then the elders are going to read it to the church <coughs> out loud because they're not going to all have, they're not going to, Paul doesn't send them a pack of Bibles. You get that, right? He doesn't ship them from, you know, Crossway Publishers, a box of ESVs. This is, they get one letter. It's no photocopy machines. You have to copy it by hand. Take some time. So they read it aloud. And in the hearing of this, the weak are saying, we only eat vegetables. We're called weak. <coughs> and that's the other point we have to get here. And this is one that is difficult because it is the weak who often have the greatest restraints upon the freedoms. Get that. It is the weak who often have the greatest restraints on the freedoms. And so as you restrain and say, not only can I not do this, but nobody else can do this, what you're going to do is judge other people. You're going to look at them and you're going to say, they are wrong. I'm the one doing it right because I'm not doing any of the stuff they're doing. Those are wrong things. Paul describes those as the strong. As the strong. And so in, in your strength, if you have the freedom to do something, to eat meat sacrificed to idols and realize there's no power in that, and so it's all still good food that God has given us and we should be thankful to him and give thanks to him as we go to eat, <coughs> what we need to do is go, I, I'm doing this because I'm, I, you know, maybe I am strong, maybe I do understand this well, but the worst thing I could then do is then despise the weak. You want to bring them along. You want them, even as they judge you, you want to slow them down and just be like, let's talk about this. Let's try to understand what God says. Let's try to understand his truth. Let's try to understand his word so that we can together in unity be growing up in Christ. We can together be growing up in Christ. So don't stay weak. Understand who, who the weak is, but then the strong are to be the ones, if they're truly strong, you're going to be humble. If you're not humble, you're not strong. If you're the one who just likes to quarrel, you're not strong. Yeah, that is the definition of the weak, right? It's the ones who are then going to, the strong can quarrel, but he tells them not to, which if they're strong, they will not. And then in the weak are the ones who judge. The strong are the ones who despise. So the, the church of Jesus Christ is this. It is a mixture it is a mixture together of strong and weak, yet both are moving in maturity in Christ. It is a mixture of those two things. If you guys are looking for a church and you go and you try to find a church of all strong people, you haven't found the church. You, you get what I'm saying? The church can be mostly full of weak people, but it can't be only full of strong people. Once you found that church, what you found is a church full of weak people who have decided to judge everybody else so everybody else stays away. That's, 
it's amazing how this works. It, it's kind of, it almost seems backwards the way it's, it's explained. But, I mean, that's, that's the Beatitudes. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's, Jesus is always counterculturally turning everything. So, it, the weak don't judge when somebody is strong. They're, they're, they're understanding what they're able to do and what God has allowed them to do. Don't judge them. Let, let them stand before their master. Let them stand before God. They'll be judged. You stay unified. The strong don't despise as if you once weren't weak, as if you once weren't in those shoes. But if you're strong, don't quarrel. Don't despise. Help, help the weak. But don't help the weak by shaming them. Help the weak by teaching them, by loving them and receiving them. How wonderful it is to have a church where there are those who are strong and growing and those who are weak. Younger Christians, new Christians, or just Christians who haven't been taught well and who need to be gathered in first to be loved. You, you, you get this? This whole passage this morning is about love. It's the continuation of what Paul's been saying here after Romans 12. It's still about love. It is now the love of reception and acceptance. The mutual acceptance of God's people, the strong and the weak, accepting each other. Why? Because God welcomes both. Because God owns both, right? He is the Lord. He is the Lord of the living and the dead. He is the, the Lord of all of us. Because God welcomes both, because God owns both, and because at the end of the day, God judges both. So when it comes to those things, let's let God be the judge. Let's try to understand his word and try to teach and try to grow strong. We should be strong. We should be growing strong. But at its core, stay unified because God welcomes us and accepts us and loves us in Christ, even when we have disagreements on some of these things. Jerry, do you want to try to say We're four minutes after. Um, we, since we have a meeting and we have lunch, I really want to sing that song again because I really liked it. I really, I really did. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to singing this again. And then I realized I had about 30 minutes for a sermon, and it's just the way it goes. So, so we can move on to other business. We'll, uh, we'll just pray. If you'd stand with me, let's pray together. If you do not know Christ, I hope during the service you have heard, this is, this is what Jesus builds. This is the kind of community he builds. This is, this is different than the world. The, the lines that keep us in or out is himself. It is not other lines. You, you understand that? Once we have him and we've understood him aright and we've trusted in him, that's the line. And then the rest of it, we stay unified, even in, in amazing amounts of diversity and disagreement. We stay together and we love each other and then we work together for the mission. We work together. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have given us this, your word that teaches us. It, we're so thankful, God, that your spirit led Paul to write these words and that, and that we have them still today and we can, we can learn what it means to be unified in Christ, to be unified as his church, to, to know each other and to love each other, even when we have some serious disagreements on some of these freedoms and how we live them out. And, and, and God, just... If we all just would turn and first long to accept each other because you accept us in Christ. If we would first do that, 
then we together as your people would have a kind of strength that we're always meant to have and that we sometimes, we oftentimes lack. So unify us, Lord. Unify us as your people based upon your truth that at our core we have Christ. And then in our strength and our weakness, we let each other stand before you as the ultimate judge and realize that we will, not only, not only are we welcomed now, but we will be welcomed on that day because of Christ. This is good news, God. This is good news for us as your people, and so we pray this is how we would learn to live together. And that where we are judgmental, where we have disdain, and, and where we look down upon those who are not living as we think they should, would we just knock it off, Lord, by your Spirit's power? And put our arms around each other's necks and love each other. For the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the master, for the sake of the world. As they see us argue with one another. As they see us judge one another. As they see how much we struggle to love each other. What they should see us is accepting and welcoming one another when we have unity truly in Christ. Help us to have that now, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you.